Last week, we looked at the villain of Christmas. We looked at the life of Herod. Today, I want us to spend just a moment as we rediscover Christmas by examining something that's a very crucial that you and I are able to put our arms around the real story of Christmas. What is the real story of Christmas? What does that mean to us? And just ask you a question today. If we could hear from God directly about whether it be verbally, audibly, or in writing, and with a synopsis of the real meaning of Christmas, and again, if it came directly from God himself, would you believe it? Bob your head, yes. And the beauty is today, you and I are able to go to Matthew chapter one, and we can see the entire story of Christmas in one single, as we know in American culture, of what we call a verse. God speaking to Joseph as he was laying out the plan of the birth of our Lord and Savior, laid out the entire Christmas story to Joseph in one simple verse. Now, when you look in Matthew chapter 1 and you scroll down to verse 20 and 21, you immediately see that God was communicating through an angel. That angel was speaking directly into Joseph's heart letting him know from a human standpoint, Joseph, I know that you're in a tough position. The woman that you love and about to become uh, her husband, she is with child. And you and I both know, Joseph, you did not do anything physically to cause this child. And so God spoke directly into Joseph's heart, doing so, communicating a very important message. Now, I would just suggest to you today that, man, For us, we really struggle with the story of Christmas. We we struggle with that. We struggle with it in, in a couple of different ways. One of those struggles that we have is so often we leave Jesus completely out of the picture at Christmas. How would someone do that? I mean, just a moment ago, we had Bill McMillan here. We'll just pick on Bill, especially since the last two times he's been here, he has caused some kind of catastrophe here at our church. Don't you think we ought to beat up on him a little bit today? Bill's approaching his 87th birthday, aren't you, Bill? But, uh, you know, let's just imagine that the next few days is Bill's 87th birthday. And uh, I send out inv- invitations. Hey, we're going to have a big birthday party for Bill McMillan. Everybody show up. And so everyone does, except we leave out one very important person. We don't invite Bill. Now we open the liquor cabinet. The booze are flowing. We've got festive attire on. The invitation even spelled it out, birthday, Bill McMillan, to honor his life, to celebrate his birth, but can you imagine for a moment not even, even including him? Have you ever stopped to think about how many events, how many moments in the Christmas season that people fail to even include the Lord Jesus? We have an annual Christmas staff party. Unfortunately, COVID has knocked a hole in that as well this year. We're not going to have a staff party. I guess our government and the CDC share with us that when we remove our mask and 
We are at meals, especially in large groups, that that's one of the ways that the spread of this Chinese virus, this COVID virus is at its, at its greatest impact. And so we're not going to have that. But, you know, every year, I, I wonder, even at our own Christmas party, man, we're doing white elephant gifts, we're doing all kinds of things. Do you start to see how easy it is Number one, for you and I, not even to include the very one that we're celebrating his birth. Now, that's a hard thing for us to even imagine, isn't it? Just the concept of at Christmas, leaving Jesus completely out of the picture. But it happens all the time. My wife has had something in her car. I don't even know if I can say it correctly. All I know is that every year I get a bill from these folks I think it's spelled like something like this, S-I-R-I-U-S, like Sirius or Cyrus or something. All I know is it's a special radio program that costs me money every year. And unless I drive her car, which is a rarity, only when it's broken or it needs gas, by the way. Uh, I just know she can get any kind of music on demand. But I noticed two weeks ago that this fancy radio program she had was popped up on my, in my Google box. And they proclaimed again the five most played songs at Christmas this year in what they called, and everything has a category, doesn't it? Traditional classic. Number one most requested song in traditional, uh, 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 traditional Christmas music, the Christmas song, roasting the chestnuts and all that stuff. Number two was White Christmas. Number three was Winter Wonderland. You ever heard some of those? You are, if, you, if you've heard one of those songs, can I see your hands? All right. Number four, Silver Bells. And there was a tie for number five, I'll Be Home for Christmas and Jingle Bells. And I just ask you, those top five, actually six songs, have one thing in common. Not one of them mentions the name of Jesus. And I would just submit to you that one of the challenges you and I have as we talk about the Christmas story is, believe it or not, many times in Christmas life, in this, from Thanksgiving to the end of the year, we are guilty of leaving Jesus out of the very festivities that he is the one that we're celebrating. But you know, we have another challenge when it comes to the Christmas story. And that's a simple challenge. We want to stuff Jesus in a manger this time of the year and tell him, you stay right there, Jesus, until this season is over. And the challenge with that is... We've got to understand that Christmas does commence with the cradle. But I remind you, it continues to a cross and it concludes ultimately with a crown. And at Christmas, we get so laser focused on that manger and that cradle that we don't often do a good job of attaching the cross and the crown. I remind you that Christmas is no longer a, a baby laying in a manger it is a king who's sitting on the throne. Grab your Bibles. I just want to point out quickly three things of the true Christmas story. Man, if there's ever a time that you and I need to go back and rediscover the real Christmas story, it's right now. Spoken through God himself in the form of an angel to Joseph, we have these incredible clear insights. One, two, 
3 to remind us exactly of what is comprised in the Christmas story. Let's read that verse together. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and here's what God's word says. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Would you just quickly jot these three things down? I think they're important for you to take with you this Christmas as we rediscover Christmas together. First of all, the Christmas, the Christmas story is all about man's sin. God reminds Joseph and he reminds us today that the Christmas season is all about man's sin. Look back at verse 21 and look at that phrase, save his people from their sin. Now, I know it probably won't be the most exciting thing for you to jot down today, but it's so very vital, it's so very important. And I just put it there in your outline so you could capture it with me. Christmas does, as God lays out what Christmas is all about, it does involve some, write it down, some bad news. Even though Christmas is really all about good news as a whole, Christmas is in part about some bad news. You remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Behold, I bring you good tidings, great joy. Why is that such good news? Because there is a remedy on the way for some bad news. The Bible tells us that the real Christmas story, you see it with your own eyes there in verse number 21, that this Christmas story is all about the Son of God coming to save his people from their sins. Wouldn't you agree today that we're all infected with sin? Can I see your hands if you're willing to say today, I'm infected with sin, I'm gonna fess up. For you that didn't raise your hands, you need to have some confession at the time of commitment down here. Come and kneel and just get before the Lord because we know that we're all depraved. Every single one of us. Have you noticed in your Bible that God began laying out that message very quickly? potentially the greatest prophet to ever write in the Bible, a guy by the name of Isaiah, shared these words, we are all like sheep, we've gone astray, each one of us has turned our own way. Isaiah 53, 6, Isaiah. The greatest New Testament theologian said this in Romans chapter 6, the apostle Paul, he said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wisest man outside of the Lord Jesus to ever live, the Bible records him as that, a man by the name of Solomon made this observation when it came to the depravity of human beings in terms of sin. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 7.20, indeed there's no one on earth who's righteous, no one who does what is right, and no one that never sins. And it was God himself looked look down across the cosmos and as he looked out across this world, made this observation. God says, look, they've all turned their way. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Yes, there is some bad news at Christmas. We're all infected. We're all depraved. But really it goes beyond that, doesn't it? We're really all destitute. The bad news gets a little worse 
because very quickly we find out that there's no human remedy for this sin. I mean, we can wash off with the soap of religion. You and I can come to a place in our lives where we try to take the rags of righteousness and clean ourselves up, but that's still ultimately only going to end to a physical and a spiritual death in itself. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22, Jeremiah said this, although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before the Lord, declares the Lord. And see that depravity, that desperation, and that's really what it is. You and I are not just helpless with sin, we're hopeless with sin. You remember what Jesus said about this in John chapter 8? Jesus said in John 8, 34, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins, are you ready? Here it is. You are a slave to sin. You are a slave to sin. Bill, I know you speak at many different churches, so here's a fact for you. Did you know two years ago, Bill, that 87% of every person in America that tried to quit smoking failed? You didn't know that, did you? Did you know that? Did you know that in 2018, that 76% of every American that attempted to stop drinking failed? In fact, sociologists and the greatest minds in medicine tell us that many times those that failed in those years failed for one reason, they underestimated the power of addiction. You know, that's an interesting concept because many people that are addicted, I hear this, t- this, this kind of stuff all the time. Hey, you know, you know, I can quit. Have you ever heard it? I can quit what? Anytime I'm listening, anytime I want to. But do you notice very seldom and almost never do they really quit? You see, when it comes to this problem, that God pointed out to Joseph, and he points out to us today when it comes to Christmas, that really the Christmas story is about man's sin. You and I need to understand, it's not about you and I in the sinful nature that we're born into and that we choose to live in. It's not about turning over a new leaf. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. We need a new life. I think it's important for us to understand if there had been no sin, there'd be no Savior. And if there were no Savior, then there'd be no Christmas. Therefore, the story of Christmas, whether we like it or not, is about man's sin. But I want to show you a second thing. Look back at verse number 21. The Bible tells us as God's speaking to Joseph, as we rediscover this and get a, a, a fresh handle on it, the Christmas story is more than just about man's sin. It's also the story about God's son. Write that down. Christmas is a story about God's son. Look at the phrase in verse number 21. And she will bring forth, she will give birth to a son. Some of you have that translation, to bring forth a son. Have you ever stopped to think as we go into these days of Christmas celebration that God really from the beginning was preparing us for the coming of his son? In fact, the very first Christmas sermon, if you will, was preached in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. 
You remember that sermon? And I will put enmity between you and woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In fact, we only have to get to about midway the point in our Bible that God gives us the first Christmas sign in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The Bible says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin, and she will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And we don't have to go much further in Isaiah 9-6 to see the first part of the real Christmas story. For unto us a child is born, unto us a, ch- a son is given, and the governor will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for Josh Thomas. Man, I love singing Christmas songs, don't you? I love the, in fact, I like Christmas songs in February and in April and in May. Unfortunately, I don't have the fancy radio that my wife does. In fact, I just have a coat hanger up basically on my old pickup and can just pick up just a very few stations. But if it were up to me, I would listen to Christmas music almost all the time. I love Christmas music. I love singing, Oh Holy Night, Away in the Manger, Silent Night, Angels We've Heard on High, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. I love them all. And maybe you and I think that when we sing all of those in our hymnal and we sing all the Christmas songs that we can, that we've sung pretty much everything there is to sing about Christmas. But I just want to remind you that the cradle was only the first stop on the way to the cross. I just want to remind you, whether you agree with it or not, and if you don't, it's okay for you to be wrong. I want you to understand something. The old rugged cross is just as much of a Christmas song as a way in a manger. You got to come to understand something. Nothing but the blood is just as much a Christmas song as Silent Night. Because Christmas that stops at the cradle is really not Christmas at all. We know that Jesus was born under the very shadow of the cross. You remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4? And he said this in in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He said, but when the set time, when the fullness of time, in other words, has fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons of God. Of Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't just come that we might have Christmas trees and gifts. Jesus didn't just come so that there could be Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph or Santa at the mall or that we could decorate houses. The story of Christmas, really as God described it to Joseph, was that Christmas was all about the coming of his son to redeem us from our sin. Jesus' birth has no meaning apart then from the death, the burial, or the resurrection that he incurred. Did you get those first two things? Important that we discover those and hold those dear in our hearts this season. It's about man's sin. It's about God's son. And then jot this down finally. Christmas is also the story of our salvation. Christmas is the story of our salvation. Listen to verse 21 out of Matthew 1 one more time. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sins. Did you hear that little phrase? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because those next four words tell us why. For he will save. Now we know that Jesus, that name, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Joshua. We know that it means God is salvation. And that's so very important for us because the salvation that God brings us at Christmas is all about a comprehensive salvation. You remember the Bible says, Behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to what? To all people. Not just white people. Not just people of color. Not just this, this, this ethnicity. Not just this socioeconomic group. But behold, I bring you some good news. Jesus is bringing salvation to all people. You see, the real reality in the heart of Christmas for me might have best been summarized when Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. He said, this is good and what pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I'm telling you, this salvation that our Lord brings is comprehensive and it's complimentary. It's free of charge. I'm willing to wager if Baptist ministers could bet then in a few moments, Bill McMillan's going to say, hey, dude, where are you going to take me to lunch today? And I'm going to say, COVID, go home with nothing to eat. That's what I'm going to tell him. This 87-year-old man over here that causes damage and catastrophe wherever he goes, I want to get him out of town as quickly as possible. But if we did go eat together somewhere, and they brought out some chips ahead of time, and they said these are complimentary chips... What would that mean to us? It would mean free of charge. And I just remind you that as God spoke in the life of Joseph about the real meaning of Christmas, he did so, and we're reminded from God's word that when God tells us, for God, for I so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, he did not say that he would loan us his son. He did not tell us, and I'll sell you my son. He told us, I will give you my son. Romans 6.23 says, the gift of God is eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this Christmas, I want us to rediscover the real components of true, the true Christmas story. I asked my wife last night if she remembered someone called Marcus Welby, M.D. Is there anybody here that's ever heard of Marcus Welby, M.D.? Okay, thank you. And she says, oh, that was such a good show. I don't know who you think is the most famous physician of all time in history. Maybe some of you real um, intellectual cats that I'm speaking to today Maybe you had come up with some kind of physician that was real big in research. Maybe somebody came up with a big vaccine. Maybe you'd say, this is the best and greatest physician of all time. If I were to ask you, for instance, who is the most popular physician? Some of you say, well, Dr. Oz, of course. 
But for me, the most popular of all time was a guy from Gunsmoke named Doc Adams. But you know, when you look back in history, it would be Michael Cook, amateur historian's opinion, that the greatest legacy ever left by any licensed physician would be a man by the name of John Abercrombie, an 18th century Scottish doctor. And it's not so much that history tells us that John Abercrombie, as he was ministering to these Scottish patients, was so much better at his bedside manner, manner, although history tells us he really loved people. It it wasn't so much that um, he was willing to share the gospel with his patients in an unashamed way. It wasn't so much that he was a big advocate of missions. It wasn't even the fact that he trained over 700 surgeons that followed him that had huge impact in Scottish life, really all over Europe. For me, the reason I would put him number one is because John Abercrombie, when he died, his wife opened up his ledger to take care of some final affairs. And what she found there is legendary in history. John Abercrombie, in very meticulous black ink, had logged every patient, what the charge was for his services rendered. But every so often, as she was flipped through those recent pages, there would be a different entry in red ink. John Abercrombie is the one in history that wrote these words in red ink by, by beside a number of his patients throughout his medical career. Forgiven. Too poor to pay. As she flipped through those pages, she was just overwhelmed with how many times in red ink were written those simple words. Forgiven. Too poor to pay. And you know, just for me, this Christmas, a Christmas that my wife and I are not even going to have a Christmas tree this year. Really no place in the little place that we're living. But you know, for me, rediscovering that that's really the message of Christmas. When that baby was placed into that manger, it just was the beginning. On his way to the cross, on the way to his crown, his purpose was all about writing and etching in red ink with his own blood, Michael Cook, forgiven, unable, too poor to pay. Aren't you thankful for a Savior like that? Would you pray with me today?